This episode is sponsored by the McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership at National Lewis University in Chicago. By focusing on whole leadership and developing innovations that drive early childhood program quality, the McCormick Center improves outcomes for children and their families. The McCormick Center impacts and influences early childhood programs quality at the individual, state, national and international level. Go to their homepage, just Google McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership at National Lewis University. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Today we are going to uh, listen to an interview that I have conducted with a researcher who talks about change management. And most of us who have been in uh, this area for a long time know that change is hard work especially changing teaching practices which are built over many years but i want to encourage you that change is possible and i hope that this uh, interview today will help you to uh, believe in that change is, is possible and help you to uh, deal with changes so they can have an impact <laughs> So I am here now at Wheaton College, close to Chicago. And this is a Christian-based college, but they do some leadership programs, which I think also can be used to the educational leadership area. And I am here today with um, Christina Walker, and she's an associate director of Billy Graham Center Academic Program. And welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And you do actually manage three programs. Uh, what are these three programs? Sure. They're in the graduate school here at Wheaton College. They are um, MA degrees. One is uh, evangelism leadership, one is missional church movements, and one is ministry leadership. So really focusing on leading in different contexts. And then you are a PhD students uh, on your final year, I think? Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, yes, let's hope so. I am. I'm, I'm in the middle of the research for the dissertation right now. And you uh, research inclusive leadership or inclusiveness in leadership. Yes, yes, exactly. And then you also teach a lot about the change management. And I thought that this was kind of a subject which we can use in schools, early childhood center and uh, social care settings as well. Uh, so, so what is kind of your take on change management? Well, certainly living in the world we live today, change is kind of a constant thing. And I think most leaders are usually trying to figure out how to do it well. Um, all process of change, regardless of whether you're dealing with five-year-olds who have to change from a small thing to um, learning a new thing, it involves a change process if you're trying to move an entire organization from one direction to another, 
you're still dealing with the change management process. So I think that's something that we do as leaders and as educators throughout our career. Um, and that's, so that's something that I'm passionate about teaching my students to think about how to do change well, regardless of their context. And is this kind of a specific interest um, uh, subject in Christian churches, change management? Yeah, I think in, in Christian churches it certainly is, as we seek to be more um, responsive to the communities that we are in and to the culture in which we find ourselves. I think it's also true as a Christian educator in the education world that we live in. Um, certainly in the United States, education is a shifting field and how we um, teach our students, even how we deliver classes to them, for example, there's a lot of shift happening. And so we want to be able to think about and do that well as educators, not just in the classroom, but even the larger administrative questions that go with how you do something well. And before we go into kind of the more theoretical side of change management, uh, uh, you have just told me that you have made some changes here at Wheaton. Can you talk us through some of those changes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wheaton has historically been a school that was completely residential. So students had to come physically to campus and live here to get their degrees. And we have begun to shift that in our graduate program. So when I arrived two and a half years ago, um, I had 35 students in, in my degrees. And uh, some of them did live a distance away and we had begun the process of having classes that were either online or intensives where they would come in for a week. But we've really um, significantly grown that for our institution and even changed the way we think about those students. So I, um, I serve as the academic advisor as well for all the students in those three programs. And I'm, I have 140 of them now. Mm. So it's a significant growth in the last uh, couple of years. And that requires us to change not just maybe how we think about delivering the classes themselves, but also how we interact with these students because they live in 14 countries and in 30 states in the United States. And so they live lots of places, they're coming from lots of contexts and we have to think about what are their backgrounds. You know, any good educator wants to take the experience of the student in, into mind when they are teaching them. And so being able to recognize, gosh, these people are from lots of different places. How do we um, care for them well? as our students and and then the structural things like how do you orient a student that's never been to campus you can't have them come to an orientation event you have to actually change the system itself in order to reach these students so that's the kind of the journey we've been on the last two and a half years trying to help the system that used to be all residential to expand its thought process and how to deliver education in um, different ways to these students who live across the globe and and uh, yeah, this is the way many universities are going nowadays to do um, electronic kind of programs and pupils or, or students living far away from their university. But when we think about leadership, do you think there are some specific things that we will have to consider when we do leadership education, like a far distant kind of degree compared to, I don't know, medicine or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Our our students, the, the, the people that are and will be leaders in uh, corporate contexts, in nonprofit contexts across the globe are more and more having employees that live in other places. And so even as we educate them from a distance, we're, we need to help them learn how to lead from a distance. Yeah. It's it's much more common. So in, in the research I'm doing right now, many of the leaders who I'm speaking to 
have virtual teams because they're working with multinational group of people who live in lots of places and they're having to wrestle with how do we lead well when we don't get to see one another regularly? How often do we get together? What kinds of personal attention do I need to give, give each team member because I'm not near them? So I think that as we are educating our students virtually, we are helping them to be able to lead then in the same way. So there's a connection between the, the actual method in which we're teaching and then hopefully the outcome for them as they lead in whatever their particular context is um, once they're graduated. Mm. And when and you talk about uh, your students, so they will serve in NGOs, non-governmental organizations, or, or will they be church leaders and pastors as well? Yes, both of those, uh, church leaders, uh, pastors, uh, nonprofit leaders and NGOs and other mission kinds of faith-based organizations. And then also um, there's business leaders. I've got some nurses and doctors, a lawyer. So whatever their particular context is they are in trying to lead well in that context and certainly educators too. So some of our students plan on um, making education their primary primary field because leadership, those principles apply in lots of different contexts. Mm. And then, and then, uh, when you talk about um, uh, change management, and we talk about kind of having a certain theoretical take on it, well, what is kind of the theories that you are using for teaching change management? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to trace sort of the history of how change has been thought of in the organizational development literature. Um, so. If you think of Kurt Lewin, he often talked about a much more directed change. You've got your unfreezing and then your change and then your freezing again. And that is a much more directed process where you, as a leader, come in, say, this is where we're going. This is what we need to do to make it happen. And um, it comes from a time and an era when organizations were thought a little more of as a machine. Mm -hmm. And so each person just did whatever their job was and they were easily replaceable, just like a part in a machine. But as the concepts of change management have developed, there, there's been a recognition that we're humans and there's a relational component also to change and how you think about managing change and that every transition, um, and this comes from kind of the sociology literature, has a liminal place in between where people have to have something end and there's a grief process associated with that and then the space where there's actually a limbo because we don't know totally where we're going to go yet and then moving into that next phase of the new thing whatever that is and so shifting into the place where you begin to take people and their experiences seriously and and even invite them into thinking about what are the goals where are we going what does it look like uh, that my vision isn't just I come in and tell everyone what to do but we do that together and then even more recently thinking about more like guiding changing processes that we we want to shift into a place where we're constantly aware of and coping with change it's not a it's not a one-time event it sort of moves into this is a way of living for us as a as a group whether that's um, within a school to be thinking about how each year we're making adjustments and growing and and reshaping how we think about education, whether you're in a business setting where you're trying to deal with new markets and your contexts. Um, and Buono is really somebody that talks a lot about that guided changing process where you're doing that um, regularly and there's a, a lot less definition to it. There's not a start and a stop as clearly. Um, and it requires a lot more collaboration, a lot more people relationships 
to do it well. You have to have built the relationships with people. You don't just walk in and say, hey, this is what we're doing, follow me or leave. And so shifting into that and helping my students think about how do we do that well? And then me as an administrator in my context, how do I set up a system as we are changing at Wheaton College where we can do that changing process over time as a regular part of what we do and as opposed to a one-time event? I don't want us to just do it once, grow to 140 and then stop. How do we continue to uh, really innovate as we as we change? So you talk about kind of three change, um, what shall we say, three way of having changes. So you call them directed change, planned change, and guided changing. Mm -hmm. uh, is is it uh, is it in this way that now we can only use guided changing, or can we actually use directed change, which was kind of the Levin approach to some things? Yeah, I think all three types of change are actually useful depending on the context. So um, Heifetz talks about the difference between a technical challenge and an adaptive challenge. A technical challenge probably could function really well with directed change. So the computer system isn't working. We've got a technical problem. We've got to get it solved. A leader can come in and say, okay, here's the three things I think we need to do, and you make that thing happen. You fix the problem. And so that kind of direction can be really helpful uh, depending on the types of challenges you're dealing with. But if you're dealing with an adaptive challenge that's more complex and deals with people's worldviews and perspectives on things, then you probably need the other kinds of uh, ways of approaching change. So actually, I think a good leader has the ability to do all three types of change, directed, coming in to help with a specific thing that needs to get worked out, planned, where we as a community say, hey, these are the goals we're going to do for next 18 months. Let's plan on making this change. And then also creating a context where innovation can happen on a more regular basis. All three of those are really helpful for us as leaders. And then, uh, yeah, so we started out by talking about uh, the changes you have made here at Wheaton College. Uh, are there some of these three ways or kind of is it some things which you have preserved from the old uh, culture at Wheaton where there were residential students only? And now you have expanded to kind of students living all around the world. But But are there some things which are constant? And some things are more like done in a planned change way and other things are done in a more guided changing ways. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I do think that there are certain elements of the change that have been a little more directed, uh, especially when you're dealing with, like, say, registering students that don't show up in a physical location. Somebody has to come in and say, this is how we're going to do this next process. Um, and so we've had to make those shifts and probably will continue to have to make those shifts as we grow in this way. Um, and then there's been some planned change. So within our School of Mission, Ministry and Leadership, um, myself and uh, some of the other leaders would get together and spend time thinking about what, what is it that we want to see happen? How do we make this happen? Um, the ministry leadership degree, which is actually new for us, I helped write that because we recognized, hey, there's something that needs to be done. There's a group of students we're not serving well, and that they would want that. And that's a plan that you have to go through your curriculum committee and things that many, many educators are used to. Um, and I think then we're also trying to have the conversation about how do we sustain this? How do we continue to um, bring in students and be creative about the ways in which we're um, connecting with students and, and the ways in which we're educating them? So I would feel like 
in my daily life, I probably do all three types of change as a regular process of change management. And I would think that would be true for most educators as they're working in their systems. And and uh, and then if we kind of take a broader perspective, and you also say that uh, this kind of thing about leading people from a distance is also something that NGOs and churches do to a large degree today. But are there some churches or NGOs which kind of just stick to the old way of doing the things and they do not expand mm -hmm. so they will kind of just stay constant and then there are other churches and NGOs which actually do these changes so so can we find both these types of organization today absolutely I think there are certain um, activities that lend themselves to a more stable kind of environment where you're doing the same thing for a long time And um, that's a blessing to us as humans to have stability. Uh, for example, like getting your mail from the post office. It's nice to know the post office is going to show up every week and give you your mail. It's nice to know that there'll be groceries in the grocery store. And that involves some stability in the system. Um, at the same time, if you want to expand globally, sometimes getting your milk, say, to the refrigerator is going to involve you thinking about how do you get milk from a different country. And that's true for us as educators as well. If we want our students to be able to think both about how do I keep stability in my business or my church context or my NGO, but also how do I think about what else is out there, then we do that together in the classroom. They'll know how to do that when they're actually in the in the real world, if you will. <coughs> Sorry. And is there a pattern that maybe the old institutions, they have uh, difficulty in kind of doing these changes and maybe the new organization have an easier way to do these changes? Um, you know, I haven't thought of that question. My sort of instinctive response is that it's less about whether or not you're an old or a new organization. I think new organizations can get stuck in ruts pretty fast as well. Um, so just starting a charter school, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that you're now going to be an innovative organization. But um, thinking about how to have the capacity for change and back to what I was talking about earlier, the people element of it. So, so if you are not paying attention to the experience of those who are in your organization when you are doing the change, it doesn't matter whether you're old or new, um, it will be more difficult to change. So an old organization, an institution that's been around for a long time can make change if it's paying attention to the people that are in its in its group. As a, as a Christian educator, I think of change including a discernment process where we're praying and we're saying, what do we feel like is the, the invitation? And we do that as a community. Uh, we think about that together. And that's what planned change really includes, that collaborative, like how do we think about this change process together? And, I, and that could happen in an old organization and it could happen in a new organization. Uh, yeah, and, and then what I'm actually trying to do is to characterize what what actually brings one organization from the old way of working to kind of expanding and stuff like that. Is it necessary to do this jump to have the director kind of involved in these processes or can this be done kind of without the director? Um, and by director, you mean leader of the organization, yeah. like main yeah. leader? Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the things I actually talk about in my classes is leading from the second chair 
which is the idea that you're often not the main person at charge and yet you have to institute change. That is certainly true for me. I'm not anywhere close to the top of the organization at Wheaton College and yet I'm helping to bring change in my context. And so, yes, I think that's absolutely possible. And we influence what we can influence. And and it's interesting how change does then impact the rest of the institution and, and can make a difference in, almost in a ripple effect. So, yeah, I think even if you don't have the ability to just walk in and say this is we're going to make change, you can still um, influence that process a lot wherever you sit in the organization. And then let me ask more open that that if we have some organization which kind of are stuck in their old way of doing things and then we have organization which actually do expand, mm. well, well, what does actually make this difference between those who stay stuck and those who actually do a lot of changes? You know, there's been a lot of work uh, in the research world about innovation and agility, those two concepts. And agility in an organization, which is kind of that constant ability to change, um, leans a lot into the diversity of its uh, its constituents, who, whoever those are. So let's say you're uh, an NGO and you have um, people serving in lots of countries around the world to lean into uh, the, the talents and skills that they bring and to allow what's called creative abrasion to happen. So we don't all have to agree and that's okay. That actually allows us to do a better job if we if we can do it well, if we can um, suspend feeling personally upset when we disagree and we can look at the ideas together and wrestle with them, that collaborative concept again about change, um, then we actually have the ability to make a decision that is greater than any one of us by ourselves could have come up with. So I think the agility piece is really crucial if you want to create an organization that is constantly changing that process. And then I'm thinking about, so now I'm thinking about the staff in an organization which kind of is mostly in the guided changing kind of way of working. Isn't it hard for, for staff to be under constant kind of demands for changing, changing, changing? Can't it be kind of stressful maybe? Certainly, yes, absolutely. Innovative companies can can be very stressful places to work, but innovative companies can also be fun places to work. Uh, and one of the ways that that can happen is by having a lot of cross-functional teams. So as I have relationship with people that work in other organizational, uh, other parts of the organization, we're less siloed and we actually can be more creative. So you, you, you see this with like, say, some of the large tech firms in the United States, like Google, for example, creating uh, open spaces where people work together and they're from different sections of the world. McDonald's uh, just created a, a new location there. They moved their headquarters to downtown Chicago and I was just there recently. And one of the things that they did was they have common workspaces. So you come in and you don't have a specific desk that's yours. You come in and you work. And so that the relationships that are built is what allows for it not to feel stressful because we know one another as human beings and we care about each other as human beings. And so if you can build that more collaborative, more relational context, then we can change more easily together. We can be more flexible. But if I don't know you, then change is difficult, much more difficult. So I think the relational piece is what really makes that possible. Or we could say that it's necessary for a director or a leader to create an environment of, of uh, how do you say it, uh, safeness, so, or, or an environment of, of uh, feeling belonged to a community. So, yeah. so that's kind of, 
if we think about what is the job for the director or leader here, then it is to build a culture of trust, maybe? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Trust is really important in the leadership literature. I So my specific area of study is inclusive leadership, how you do that well. Trust consistently comes up. You have to have a culture of trust. And one of the ways that that can happen is uh, something that's called optimal distinctiveness theory. It's where you've got a strong sense of belonging. I belong to this group. I care about this group. They care about me. And I'm unique. My particular perspective matters. And so as a leader of an organization, if you can create an environment, I love that you use that word because that's a really great word. If you can create an environment, a culture of the balance of those things where people feel like I get to bring what I uniquely know to this conversation. Um, Again, some of the most innovative firms, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or uh, you're the the janitor. If you have an idea that will benefit the organization, you get an opportunity to share it. And so creating an environment where we get to bring our unique perspectives, but then that we want to together do something as a group. And so that requires a lot of relational ability on the part of the leader to say, hey, this is, I want to see relationship. I'm going to get to know you as an individual, a team leader to say, I know each person on my team and I can help draw out their uniqueness in a way that helps us belong together. It's not an easy task for sure. Um, but if done well, it actually is a really fun fun experience to have that kind of change and that kind of innovation. Uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry to say so, um, Christina, but we are running out of time. <laughs> uh, it has been really interesting. Is, is there a place on the internet where people can find information about you? Do you have a LinkedIn profile or do you have a personal homepage or something like that? Yes, I do have a LinkedIn profile, Christina Walker, um, and I work at Wheaton College. So if you put those two search functions in, you probably will find me. I'm the only one here at this university. That was the interview with a researcher in the leadership area. This podcast has come to an end. I would like to invite you to join our group on Facebook. If you just type in the search field on Facebook, research in leadership in schools, early childhood settings and social care settings, you will find the group. In the group, there are announcements of new episodes, and we are also able to discuss some issues being brought up in the episodes. This podcast has been running for a long time now, and due to technical reasons, all of the episodes are not available on all podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and so on. But in our group on Facebook, you can find the complete list of all the episodes that have been delivered. So please join us on Facebook. I hope to see you there. Bye-bye.